This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. All right, I am going to give you fair warning here. You might want to push pause. I know we just got started to go grab a box of Kleenex, maybe put on something more comfortable, pour yourself a big glass of red wine. I'm currently drinking David's Tea Cream of Earl Grey, which is delicious, but I just don't know if it's going to cut it for this episode. Today, I am honored to welcome Danielle Maltby to the show. Danielle is somebody who probably plenty of you know from her days on The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. But today, Danielle is taking us behind the highlight reel of her life before she became a reality TV star. Now, this is a story where if you are somebody who is triggered at all by drugs, the stories of death, then I'm going to recommend that you skip this episode and head to one of our other ones because we really do get into it in this episode. And I want to be conscious of making sure that everyone gets what they need out of these episodes. Danielle is a nurse and the host of the WOMED podcast, which is an incredible podcast geared towards healthcare professionals, nurses, doctors, I mean, anyone who's in the field of giving in their career. And her and her co-host, Danny V, do just such an incredible job on this platform. I was lucky enough to be a guest on their show. And now I get to be in my more comfortable seat where (laughs) I get to ask the questions. But I am just beyond honored to have Danielle here today to share a piece of her story that she has not yet shared anywhere else. We are going to also dive into, of course, some of the behind the scenes of reality TV. We talk about love. We talk about death. We talk about career. We cover it all in this episode. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today, Dee. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. I feel like we've seen Danielle beautifully prancing across the beach in her bikini, wearing <laughs> beautiful gowns at the Bachelor Mansion. But can you tell me, like, if we strip all of that away, a little bit more about you, where you came from, how you grew up, all that good stuff? Yeah. That whole Bachelor world was <laughs> a shock to the system, but it was a great shock to the system. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It had always been a running joke with my friends. Like, I had never watched the show, and they were always like, well, you need to go on The Bachelor. Like, you'll you'll find the perfect person, and everyone will fall in love with you. Like, America will love you. And then you can go out and be The Bachelor, and then you can be on Dancing with the Stars. And I'm like, whoa, 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 guys. <laughs> They had the vision for you. (laughs) They did. I have always had some incredible people in my life cheering me on to like the next step and next goal. But no, before the whole Bachelor world, I was living in Wisconsin, born and raised. Go Packers. Love them dearly. (laughs) And I grew up in like a really small town. My dad grew up on a dairy farm, just like very – I had like the best childhood ever basically getting to go up on the weekends and play on the farm with my cousins. I knew from a really young age that like I really wanted to help people and 
help heal them, be a part of their lives somehow. And after my grandpa had passed away, I was like in sixth grade. I was just so in awe of what the nurses had done for not only just in caring for my grandpa, but in how they like loved on everyone in the family and were just so great and like so accommodating to us. And I was like, wow, that's really special. Like that feels that feels like it's calling to a part of me. And as I got older and started like, you know, learning more about what's going on in the world, I just started feeling such a pull. I have a very mothering vibe and sometimes Uh it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a great thing. (laughs) I'm a very much caretaker. It's like I started learning, you know, more about myself and, and I was like, I need to work with women and children, like specifically children. Like I just think that would be the coolest thing to do every single day. And I just kind of had an epiphany one day and I was like, no, like I'm going to be a nurse and I'm going to take care of kids. And that's kind of been my driving force through at like the rest of high school and getting into an incredible nursing school in Wisconsin. And I've just really led with that, that passion for caring for others and helping women and children. Mm. It comes across so clearly to anyone who has had the opportunity to see you or hear you on television, your caring heart and nurturing nature. You have the most caring personality. It comes across so quickly. I think watching the show at times, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is just everything. She is what all of these men need. And they're going to walk all over her because (laughs) she's too nice. You're always needed. And like, I don't want that to sound narcissistic, but a caring person is always needed in every friend group and every family and every like relationship you're in. So like having that ability to go the extra mile for someone that you care about or you're taking care of in the hospital will lead them to to be healthier, to, to feel loved, to grow. But at the same time, having a super caring heart also leads you to continue to pour out to others and not necessarily be able to, people take advantage of that and you can't Uh let someone keep taking from you without filling yourself back up or setting up those boundaries to own your worth, essentially, like knowing who deserves your care, Uh if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, you have to be so conscious of your energy, the energy of those around you who's taking, 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 and and also just being so clear on how to fill yourself up and giving yeah. yourself permission to do that because you are such a giver and you're always you're always pouring from your cup. So how do you keep refilling it? Yeah. And I've been working on that a lot <laughs> in setting like <laughs> boundaries with different friends or my own like self and career or guys that I'm interested in. And if they aren't, you know, stepping up to what I want in my life, then you have to act like you deserve to be in my life. Uh, Yeah, you better. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you better. I mean, that's a non-negotiable, but I feel like so many women struggle with that, struggle with recognizing their own self-worth and Mm -hmm. recognizing what it is that they deserve. Tell me a little bit about your history with relationships and getting to this point where you have more clarity around what it is that you deserve. 
Who was your first love? I'd say my first like real true love was my fiance who passed away. And there were other guys before that that like I thought I loved, but it was never anything to the extent of what I felt for this man. But then looking back on like all the other relationships that I let myself be in, none of them really like added to my life. And part of that is is like the growing pains. You know, there's the guy you dated in high school. There's the guy you dated in college. And I made a lot of bad choices <laughs> in men. Me too. And, but you learn and you grow from each one of those things. I was just talking to one of my friends this morning about – actually, let me pull it up because the way I said it, it phrased it really well. But I said – there's a time and space and reason for everyone who comes into and out of our lives. And I've really taken that to heart and tried to like learn and grow from each relationship that I've been in. And after Nick had passed away, I was so lost. I was this broken, depleted shell. Like I was... I was reading back through some things that I had written right after he had passed away. And it was like, I didn't realize the dark place that I was in, like literally just wanting to exist until I could be with him again. Mm. And I remember like waking up one day and just being like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm doing myself a disservice. Like I need. I don't want to feel sad and depressed. Like I want to be able to laugh at something again when it's really funny. I still want to be a mother someday. Like I want, I still want to get married. And that was a huge turning point in my recovery after losing Nick. Mm. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Detox. Rules and restrictions may apply.
This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. I was a really awful, I mean, I guess there's no good way to lose somebody, but the circumstances of his death, from what I've heard, were were awful. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that experience and going through it and what happened? Yeah. So Nick was a recovering addict but he was also an alcoholic. So after he quit pills and heroin, he started, he like substituted that with like cigarettes and alcohol. And he was a very like magnetic person. Like everyone was very drawn to him. Um, and he made people really feel special, but he had a lot of issues and they all centered around these addictions and his like super addictive personality. And I was very, looking back, I was like, oh my God, D, you are so naive. But I didn't have any other personal experiences to, to warn me, you know? And like, I would never go back and change anything about, about that relationship or take anything back because it, I, I learned so much and, and it sparked, this whole change into stepping into who I actually am. But Nick passed away um, from a morphine and um, Oxycontin overdose. And he had assured me that before we started dating, like he had gone to rehab, he like didn't need that anymore. And that he knew if he started struggling, he could talk to me and he had tried to quit drinking on multiple occasions and it just such a difficult point in my life. Um, but Nick came home after, um, saying goodbye to some friends. We were like three days out from moving down to Nashville and, and he came home, he was wasted uh, but he was in like such a good mood. He was just so happy. He just felt on top of the world. You know, we were we were moving down to Nashville, which was like his big dream. He's a musician. He had his band lined up. He had a deal lined up um, down here in Nashville. And from what I've learned about addicts is they relapse when they're at their highest of highs and they're at their lowest of lows. And the friend he saw that night was 
um, a friend I'd never really liked or trusted because I knew he had a drug history, but I was, you know, trying to be what I thought was a supportive, you know, fiance, girlfriend being like, yeah, I know like you're never going to see some of these people again, or you might not, you know, like go say bye, you know, have a drink, whatever. And he came home and I I was literally sitting there setting up the, um, like the cable to come, like an appointment for the cable to come to our apartment in Nashville. And he's like, babe, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. But when I get back, like, let's cuddle and then we'll get back to packing. And as I'm sitting there, like I hear this like thud and I, I was like, what the hell? Like, is he just goofing around in there? Like what's happening? And I go back there and I was like, babe, are you okay? And I couldn't get the door open and I didn't hear anything. And I don't, I don't know what I was thinking was going on at that point, but I, you know, it was like one of those locks where you just like pop the button through and I knew exactly where this tiny little screwdriver was. And I opened the door and I saw him laying there and he had thrown up. He was purple. I ran and grabbed my phone, called 911, rolled him over and started doing compressions and a syringe rolled out of his hand. Mm. And I remember it because it had just like a tiniest little bit of blood in it. Like he didn't even like inject the whole thing. And I just remember I was just in such a state of shock. Like I remember the phone operator calling and being the 911 operator being like, okay, I, I need you to start doing compressions. And like, I yelled at them. I was like, I know how to do compressions. Like I'm a nurse, but there's like something blocking his airway. I can't feel a pulse. I can't like, I like snapped into nurse brain and then the cops came up and the paramedics came up and it was, it was such a blur. Like I remember being questioned by these cops thinking that like I was on drugs, that I had them hidden somewhere that I knew anything about it. And I was like, like, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know. And the cops ended up like pulling, like going through all of his things, pulled out like a bunch of like old bent syringes and like boxes I had never even looked at from when he moved in because I didn't think I had a reason to. And, and they never let me go along. They ended up getting him stabilized to the point where they could take him to the hospital, but they wouldn't let me leave with him. They wouldn't let me go with him. And they didn't tell me until God, like two and a half hours later that he had, he had passed away at the hospital. Oh my God. Yeah. And they told me, they're like, do you have someone you can call? I'm like, you need to tell me right now. And they're like, no, like you need to have someone here with you. And I called my mom and like, that was the fastest I think she had ever got into my apartment. Like it felt like it was like 10 minutes on like a 20 minute drive, but like, you know what mother wants to be woken up at three o'clock in the morning. Like, you know, something's wrong. And as like this officer is telling me, like, I just, I couldn't do anything but scream. And I could not stop screaming. That <laughs> was just so just destro like destroyed isn't even a strong enough word for it. I was like, this whole world has just gotten like sucked into like a black hole or something like my mom got me got me home to my parents house and I just remember seeing the look on my dad's face and he was just he 
he was scared. He was destroyed. He was in shock. And I just started like screaming and crying again. And I think my mom had like a Xanax or something. And like, I don't remember it, but like, she just like shoved it in my mouth and like I passed right out. And it was, wow. (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. That is a lot for, I literally have tears streaming down my face right now thinking about you having to go through that. That is a lot for anybody to ever have to handle in their life. And it's just not something that you could ever prepare yourself for, even knowing the history, even knowing, like, there's just no way that you could ever imagine having to get through something like that. No. And I felt like, I'm a nurse, like I should have noticed these things or I should have like known something was off or, or, you know, I beat myself up about it for, for a long time because I couldn't save him. I feel like that's such a common thing for, for anyone, whether they're a nurse or not a nurse to think when living with an addict, what could I have done? What could I have said? How could I have been there more? And at the end of the day, that's the terrible thing about this this disease and this life of addiction is that there isn't anything that anybody can do. And it's often out of the hands of even the individual who's struggling with it. Because Exactly. Because it's so strong. It's so strong. And it's just so challenging trying to figure out how to navigate this world of addiction when mm-hmm. there's also just such a negative bias that's put on individuals who are struggling with it. You know, people don't necessarily want to help them. They want to put them in jail or lock them up. It's so, so tricky. Obviously, this takes substantial strength to get through. How did you ever manage to return back to work? Did you find going back into nursing triggering at all for you? Or was there safety and comfort in stepping into your own strength again? Returning back to work was really difficult because that meant returning back to some sense trying to make this this new world I was in normal and there was nothing that felt normal about it and I think I went back after like a month and a half for like two months because my parents were like you have to be you you have to do something mm-hmm. like you have to take a step towards something and like I hated nursing for a while because that was something that Nick was always so proud of me for. And he was like, God, it's just the coolest thing. Like you're literally going in, you're changing these people's lives. You're saving like these innocent little kids. Like you're like a wonder woman. And at that point I was just, I was so angry that like anything that he loved about me, I was just like, no, fuck you. Like you did this. Like, I'm just like thinking I was like still punishing him by like, punishing myself and not letting myself enjoy Mm. my life. So you were angry at him. You felt angry at him for that choice that he made that took him away. Yeah. More so than sad or just all the emotions and all the things? (laughs) All of the things. Um, Very angry and very broken and very sad. But there was a big sense of comfort. There's something about babies that like you can you can tell them anything you know like you can talk you can talk to them and they aren't going to say anything back to you and there's something very comforting about 
you know, like some of the patients that I was taking care of that could, you know, be held and like fed, like I would just sit there and like, I would rock with them because it brought me a lot of peace. Mm. So like I ended up moving down to Nashville, um, like six or eight months after he had passed away. And the hospital that I was going to be working at had actually held a space for me. They were, they were very, very good to me. And like, whenever you're ready, like we'd still love to have you as a nurse in our unit. So it was actually like a specific patient that really made me fall back in love with my career again. I remember going in for this shift and one of the nurses giving me a report was like, they need a primary, like they're such a great family. Like you're going to love them. I think you'd be perfect with them. And it was um, a nurse. Like I, I mean, I was new to the unit. Like I hadn't really, you know, connected with too many people yet. But when I got in there, I was like, I kind of fought it. I was like, no, like this is, it was like one of my favorite types of patients and like diagnoses to take care of. And the family was so incredibly just wonderful. And like after a night of taking care of him, I was like, okay, I'm going to sign up for a primary. Like I hadn't committed to signing up for a specific patient since Nick had passed away because I didn't want to get close to anyone. But I was like, no, like this, this feels safe. This feels good. Like there's a reason. Mm-hmm. He stayed with us for about seven months and ended up passing away. But I was so close with the family that I ended up really being able to to kind of offer some hope to this child's mother that like, you know, at some point you are going to feel a little bit better. You are going to thaw and this like, cold, tense feeling that like you're carrying, like will start to thaw and like your body will relax and the pain won't be as much. Mm. How do you even handle, like, I thought this was going to be a happy ending to this story. And then this Uh, child passes away too? Like what? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This has to be the that survives and then she feels better. No. Oh my God. What is your perception of death? I guess, man, I believe so much in like souls and that there is an afterlife that, you know, we, we come back as like certain like different people and like we always come back and like find each other again you know Mm -hmm. like I believe that people who are important to you do circle back and you know there is like a promise for you know maybe seeing them again in like a different life or a different world that's always been such an interesting like thought and concept to me but but death is also what inevitably led me to need to step away from the bedside uh, as a nurse as well because it just they kind of start compounding on you and they start stacking up and no one person should have to continually face death. I've also seen so many kids like beat all the odds and and I know that 
that patient that I spoke of, like he did pass away, but I know that his mother still messages me and she's like, I'm still so grateful for you. Mm-hmm. Like the care that you gave to Drew and to our family was just the most beautiful, comforting thing. And we never would have made it through any of this without like your love and support of him. So there's so much beauty in those dark moments as well. And it is this inevitable part of life that so often we don't like to face or talk about. I'm sure there's people listening right now who are like, whoa, this is, it's a lot to hear, but it is important because I think in the face of death, we really start to live and we really feel exactly cracks open all of our emotions. And so I always think that whenever I go to funerals or memorials, obviously it is so heartbreaking, but there is nothing like death to make you reflect on your own life, how you want to live it, who you want in it, and to spark that within you. Honestly, what an incredible story. I know it's officially fall and the cooler weather is here to stay, but I'm totally okay with it because I've got my big mug of David's tea by my side at all times and incredible women like Danielle who are opening their hearts to share their story with all of us. I know you're probably thinking, Erin, you're talking about David's tea all the time. What could be so different about this particular kind of tea? But let me tell you, the flavors are everything. And there's something so beautiful about the loose leaf blends. They're so pretty, you're almost not going to want to drink them. Some of my favorites include carrot cupcake, s'more chai, and their creamy Earl Grey. And then, of course, my latest obsession, Sunny Sea, which is bursting with freshly squeezed orange. This fresh, bright tea will leave you feeling energized and like you've been wrapped up in a big, cozy blanket. I'm stocking up and I'm so excited because for a limited time, David's Tea is offering you 20% off everything in store and at davidstea.com when you use the code RAWBEAUTY20. There could not be a more beautiful gift to give someone you love, including your sweet self. Head to David's Tea and use the code RAWBEAUTY20 for 20% off right now. This code is going to expire soon, so get it while you can. All right, let's get back to Danielle. So tell us about that process. You're in Nashville. You're back to nursing. You've never heard of this show. So, sorry, how old were you when all of this was happening? Let's just get a little time frame. I was 25 when Nick passed away. And when I went on the show, I did I turn 30 or 31? I think I turned 31 on the show. Okay. So some time had passed. Yes. I had dated some people, but there's actually this this one song by Grace Potter. And like the opening line is I lit a fire with the love you left behind. And for whatever reason, like that really stuck with me. And it was like, when I decided to make the choice to take back control of my life again and like live it and move forward and work on healing myself, I was like, this life is going to mean something to a lot of people and not just myself. I'm going to light that fire, but I'm like lighting it for myself. Like I knew 
I would be sharing this story. I knew like my journey through this like broken despair to what I am now and what I will continue to grow to be was going to hopefully shine like a beacon of hope for some people that are going through the same things. And so I just kind of started really embracing that mentality. And I couldn't tell you like where that strength came from. There's there's so much truth in that quote, like you never know how strong you are until like that's your only option. And it literally was my only option. It was live a miserable life or start living for yourself again. And I started thinking about like, well, what things used to make me really happy? And dance had always made me really happy. Um, so when I moved down here, I was like, well, let me see if I can find some dance classes. And then I came across the like Titans cheerleader tryouts were coming up or something. And I was like, wow, well, that could be kind of fun. Like, who knows? <laughs> and who cares? Like, you've got nothing to lose. Like, let's go for it. And I didn't make it, which is totally fine. But I made it all the way through to the finals. And I remember sitting there being like, eh, I don't know that this is something like I really want to take on. <laughs> but the coach, like, for whatever reason, really liked me. And she was like, listen, I want to see you back here next year, but I think we need to work on your confidence like a little bit more. And I think you should reach out to some of the modeling agencies in town and keep doing some dance classes. And I was like, oh my God, modeling? Like, no, like what the hell? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. All that negative self-talk. And then I was like, you know what? Well, you're not that bad looking, D. Like, let's. <laughs> Let's see what happens. I had a few pictures and I sent them off to a couple of agencies. And again, it was that whole mentality of like, well, what's the worst that could happen? They're going to say no. Like you've already literally experienced the worst possible thing to happen to a human. Like nothing <laughs> will ever be as bad as that. Yes. Nothing will ever destroy you to the point of what you have already like you're still standing after literally giving compressions to your fiance. Like you oh. are here. So just freaking like go for it. And all these different agencies had reached back to me, reached back out to me and were like, hey, we're having like an open call at this time. Like, will you come in and speak with us? Or we would love to set up a meeting. And so I met with a couple of agencies and my agency that I settled on was just like, like I ended up sharing like my story with them and, and they're like, well, we think you have a great face. You have a great personality. Like we'd like to set up some shoots for you. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, is this actually happening? <laughs> and so like, I was still a nurse. I was still like working at the bedside as all this was happening, but modeling actually really helped me build some self-confidence back and helped me see myself as other people actually saw me. Mm -hmm. And I know that doesn't happen for everybody. There was never a pressure from my agency to be like, you know, like, oh, your inches say this, we need you to be this. You know, there was never that pressure. They're just always very kind and supportive. And I know that's not always the norm in the modeling agency, but it just forced me outside of my comfort zone. And I learned that I could incorporate dance 
into how I'd move for posing and that seemed to work really well. And then I started getting like music videos and like, and I was like, oh my God, like I have to try and act like, (laughs) okay, let's try this out. You know, it just ended up being like all these different things. And I, I really feel like the universe was like, okay, she's made her choice. Like, this is the choice we want her to make. Like, we're going to keep bringing things into her life to show her what she's capable of. I love that. That is what I was thinking. The universe was supporting you and putting you up on that pedestal that you deserve to be on, that every woman deserves to be on. But you had decided to step into that, to start making choices for yourself. And it really, I think, began with the simple thing of saying, I'm going to go back to dance, to dance classes. Because I think sometimes people think, I've got to do this big thing. It's like, no, just start with the small thing. Start with the small thing that brings you joy. Start there. You like to paint? Go buy like a $5 canvas and like some watercolors or you can buy like tubes of paint for like three bucks. It doesn't have to be high quality. But like it can be a tiny little thing that you enjoy doing. And like that was really what helped start this journey back up. I wanted to live for me. And then I still really hadn't even thought of doing The Bachelor. But my friends like Wells and Evan were going to be on the show. And I remember my friend Becca talking about it. And she was like, yeah, did you hear like Wells and Evan are going on The Bachelor? And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What are these kids getting into? So you knew them before the show. Oh, yeah, but both separately. Like, I think I'm pretty sure Wells and and Evan didn't know each other before the show, but like they became like super best buds on the show. Are you talking about Carly's Evan, the penis doctor? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, I didn't know this. I didn't know that you knew them before. Evan and Wells are two of like my favorite dudes on the planet. I love them so much. And they've just always been so supportive and loving and like giving me some like real truths about guys before and you know (laughs) every girl needs those guys in their life the ones who are like okay this is what this dude's about and this is how you're perceived you know the ones who have your back yes so that's the other thing I feel like the universe really brought in people that like they knew I needed Mm. because like again it goes back to that like every person that's come into my life has taught me something or helped me grow or I've been able to help them I'm just so dang grateful for it. Mm. And uh, I was sitting at lunch with one of my girlfriends one day, and I think we were just talking about guys, and I was like not even seeing anybody, but I was like, you know what? Like I don't really care, but I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. And she's like, you need to go on The Bachelor. And I was like, not this again. (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm going to submit you right now. And she sat there at lunch and she's like, send me a pic of yourself that you're like, I'm like, you're not doing this right now. And she's like, yes, I am. Fine. I'll just take this one and you don't get to approve it. And she's like, writes in the, like why she's nominating me. And she's like, because she's a baby nurse that saves lives and models. Like she's hot and she's awesome. (laughs) Yes. What a good friend. (laughs) I know. And then I'm like, well, you know, nothing else has worked. Let's see if I can meet a guy in TV. (laughs) (laughs) And you went on and it was like one guy and you and all these girls. What was it like, like being in this Petri dish with one guy (laughs) and all of you girls like glamming up and dating? Like it is the strangest concept to me. 
It really is. I have never been one to share <laughs> ever. And you like go in with these ideas like, oh my God, how am I going to handle this? We're literally all dating the same guy. This goes against everything that I hold true for relationships. And then suddenly you're like, okay with it. There's, I don't know, like what the cycle manipulation yeah. is that goes on. Like what's in the air they're pumping into the bachelor mansion. But like, there's a lot of booze, right? Kaylin said there's like always, you wake up, it's like 8 a.m. and there's champagne waiting for you. Yeah, there was until, you know, like my season of paradise. And then they enlisted the the two drink an hour minimum rule. But like, oh. I also never, I never drank much on the show because I didn't want to be drunk. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. I was like, I have a career that I need to be able to go back yes. to. So I think I was, I was so hyper aware of not wanting to screw that up. I just didn't want to make a fool of myself and be like that drunk girl on the show. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Because you were on the Bachelor in Paradise season where the girl gets a little drunk and accidentally sleeps with the guy in the first night. Yeah. There's there's questions of like, were they both too drunk to consent? Yes. Type yes. Thing, which was a really great conversation that like we all needed to have. So yeah, the whole show needed to have that. And it was yeah. a, a very timely, I feel like, with conversations that are happening in general. So I think that the show handled it relatively well. And I think the two drink per hour max was probably a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. And plus it's it's so hot down there that like you're either going to sweat it out or you're going to get really like too drunk and dehydrated. So I think it was a great rule. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. OK, so you're on this show. Did you fall in love with Nick? I was definitely having those feelings. But I again, like I think I was definitely feeling love for him on the show. But I also there was also a part of me that kept thinking like, but do you really? <laughs> like, there's so much science that goes into that show of you're cut off from everything. Like you're only talking about this one person like all day long. And I don't know. I feel like any feelings I have were like induced because when I got home, I was like, oh, I don't think like. I think I'm okay. Like, I mean, it took two weeks to get out of the like, well, like I'm back in reality. <laughs> but, yes. Yes. But it wasn't the same feeling as losing somebody who you'd spent a lot of time with in a normal life situation. Right. Those, I feel like there's a huge difference between lust and love. And I think it was a lot of lust. Yeah. I fall in lust very quickly and it yeah. feels so good and it's so drama filled and there's mm -hmm. so much like emotion there that feels like love. But I think love is something that takes some time to really grow and evolve and deepen yeah. into. So I can only imagine on a show like that where you're sharing your man with like 16 other women or however many there are, that it's more of a, a breeding ground for lust rather than deep, deep love. Paradise, on the other hand, I'm totally like, <laughs> you're you're spending like all day long with this person. You don't have, yes. well, usually don't have like someone sitting there like fighting for your time or going in like, I'm sorry, can I steal him for a second? Like there aren't like yeah. 30 girls going after one guy. Yes. So you think paradise actually gives people a better chance to foster that loving relationship? 
I do. But then there's still like a whole, okay, now we have to take this to the real world where like we have to pay for our own dates and, <laughs> and they don't include helicopters and waterfalls. Yes. It involves getting some pizza. Yes, totally. I've always wanted the bachelor to have raw beauty come on and to do an episode where all the girls take off their makeup. They show up in sweatpants. We have really like real raw conversations. I mean, the cameras would obviously still have to be there, but like, yeah, I feel like just stripping things back for a second would be so interesting. That would be, that'd be a really cool, like group date. Right. Yeah, I know. Listen up, Chris Harrison, if you're listening to this, let's, get, <laughs> let's make this happen. No, but in all honesty, do you find when you're on that show that you have to be so conscious of the way that you look and wearing the makeup and having the cute outfit? And does a lot of time and attention go into that or not really? I think initially, yes. And I know there was a lot of girls that really like always – had a full face on. But I think that like, the neat part about our season was we had a lot of girls that didn't focus so highly on like a full face of makeup. You know, we were like mm -hmm. just before all of like the major beauty makeup, everyone does makeup tutorials and right <laughs> looks like insanely gorgeous. Or maybe it was just me. Like I just, I don't like having to wear makeup every day. <laughs> I don't like having to like dress a certain way. I'm like, no, like I want to be comfy. I'm going to wear a sweatshirt or I'm going to just wear this tank top and like these leggings. Yes. And and there's nothing wrong with it. Like for the girls who do do the makeup tutorials or wear the full face. I was just curious of how much time is spent on that stuff when you're in this competition for this guy and there's all these girls. Well, we don't have that much time to get ready. Like they're always like hustling us. So it's like, I always spent like more time on my hair than I would on my makeup. Cause I just, yes. I wasn't good at it. Like, I don't know how to put on fake eyelashes. I still can't do oh it. God, I would die. I don't know how to contour. No, <laughs> I can sweep some gold shadow over my lids. And like, that's basically yeah. it. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I would be a disaster if I was on that show. But I do see all the other girls and I was like, Oh my God. Like there was definitely moments where I was like, oh, my God, I do not look as pretty as these girls look right now. Mm. But there was so much effort put into it. And also, you're just plain gorgeous no matter you're so what you're wearing, even if you probably rolled out of bed. Now, I have a question, though. You were on the show. You did not find love. Are you dating now? Are you in love? What is your relationship status at the moment? I think Lizzo said it best when she said, I'm my own soulmate and I'm going to marry me one day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Honestly, just buy yourself the ring right now. <laughs> I get flowers every Sunday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I definitely it. am not. My focus right now has shifted so much. Like I really like I did used to be like, okay, I want to date somebody and like, know that I'm going to marry them and have kids and like I really want to be a mom and I'm getting old like are my eggs drying up like am I going to be able to get pregnant normally like those used to be very constant thoughts in my head now I'm just like that just doesn't matter as much to me like I definitely want to be a mom can't wait for that 
but mm-hmm. there's so many things happening right now in my life that I'm really excited for and that I really want to complete. And like being able to focus that on myself right now feels so good that like I don't know that I mean if someone came along that you know really man like I've got I've got this friend that like says he's in love with me but he's too scared to actually have a conversation with me so I'm like <laughs> until you can step up <laughs> like we're not we're not playing this game because this is not how it works like you can't just say one thing and not follow it up with actions I want to accept more actions and stop being like, but he said this, you know, it's made my life much easier being like, no, like they aren't showing up for you in the way that you need. And it might just be like, they're not able to, or they're too scared to, and they might need time to figure that out. And that's fine. But that doesn't need, like, you don't need to wrap yourself up in that world. You still have to keep the focus on you. Yes, please. I feel like that is so well said and what so many women need to hear i think that you can hear that at some stages in your life and it's hard to actually feel it so i love that you you're really truly sounds like you're standing in that and that you are excited about this stuff yes good what is one of the things that you're working on right now that kind of has you pumped up and that you're excited about the biggest thing is the podcast that i'm doing with danny the WOMED. It is something I never, ever foresaw myself doing. And I feel like everyone in the Bachelor family is like, has some like Bachelor gossip podcast or related to like love and dating, but like in the Bachelor world. And I'm like, I don't like the sound of my voice. And that's like another thing that's like super outside of my comfort zone. But what if I did this, but did it medical. I wanted to create a space where we could really shine a light on all the things that women in medicine are doing. Because we're a really awesome group of people. The most incredible. And we're so under underserved and underfilled up. And like I just want to fill up everybody and like give them a space to talk about their careers in medicine. What are they doing with it? Talk about like their struggles or different hardships that they've faced in it with, you know, time's up and me too, because like that shit all goes on in the medical community too. But like women, like especially in this time period, we we are all stepping into our power and I just want to help further that as much as I can. You girls are creating the best platform and and medium to share these stories. It is honestly, it's so informative, but also hilarious. And I don't know, it's so good and so needed. All of the girls that I know who are nurses and doctors and caregivers are, I even think I think about my amazing nanny, Roxanne, we call her Ruru, and the nurturing, caring woman more than anybody else needs other women to help hold her up and support her. We, it is yeah. vital that these women are strong and supported and they are not. They're not financially supported. They're not supported in the hours that they work. The system is all broken. It's destructive. Mm-hmm. And 
I think more so that now than ever, we need your voice. We need your podcast. We need women joining together. So Thank I'm just you. so grateful for you stepping into your strength, recognizing where you need to be right now and showing up in the world. I think all the hardship that you've been through, all the death that you've stood face to face with really has, you know, strike that match has lit you up. And girl, you are just shining. It is such an honor to have been able to have this conversation with you and to, to watch you on this journey. So thank you. Erin, thank you so much for that. I'm such a huge fan of Raw. And like I started following them after Caitlin posted about you guys. And I was like, this community is awesome. Mm, thank you. That means so much. Uh, where can people find you if they want to carry on listening to your story and um, hear your beautiful voice? I can't believe you don't like your voice. <laughs> it's so weird. Like sometimes it just I'm like, I feel like it sounds okay. And then Danny was making fun of me this morning. She was like, you just need to like talk in accents and just play around <laughs> with them all the time. Because <laughs> she really likes my Russian accent. That's like one of her favorites. Um, <laughs> so good. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at DM Maltby and also on at the WOMED. We have our WOMED podcast and you can listen to it on all podcast platforms. I think that's like all the platforms <laughs> that I have. Oh, that's and on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On Twitter, yes. too. Don't forget Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes I drop some really funny things. I can be really funny sometimes, not always. But, you know, I think I'm funny. So that's what really matters. <laughs> all right, girl. I will let you get back to taking over the world. It's been such a pleasure. That is it for this episode everybody be sure to subscribe if you enjoyed this one please send it over to somebody else who might uh, learn a little bit by listening to it you can also take a screenshot and share it on social tagging at raw beauty talks we'll be regramming your post every week as we wrap things up remember your body your life it is different than anybody else out there so as you listen to these episodes Keep tuning back into yourself to see what truly resonates. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.